What's going on, everybody? And welcome back to Bear With Me, a Chicago Bears podcast hosted by yours truly, Robert Schmitz, right here on the Windy City Gridiron podcasting channel. And Jacob, we're coming we're coming to you live. I'm here with Jacob Infante, and we are coming to you guys live after a real bummer of a Bears game against the Packers. As Jacob, I don't know about you, I feel like I've seen this movie before on offense where the Bears had a sweet scripted drive that got every Bears fan excited and failed to really muster up anything particularly special after that. Between three and outs, interception at the end of the game, strugglesome play calls, weird play calls at the goal line, certainly, and maybe a bad call. It was not a banner day for the Bears offense. Really wasn't a banner day for the Bears defense either. Not a great day to be a Bears fan as the Packers inch a little bit closer to that all-time franchise wins record. But Jacob, that's how I feel. How do you feel? Robert, I honestly feel the same way that you do. I don't feel great after that game. Uh, That's kind of become a trend whenever I see the Bears play the Packers, and I hate it. I'm going to be honest, I hate it. And I hate that this has become the standard for being a Bears fan, that every time they're going to schedule a primetime game because it's Bears-Packers, two of the most historic franchises in NFL history, maybe the biggest rivalry in NFL history, and... This just keeps happening every single time where they get absolutely demolished in prime time and nothing good comes out of it. Uh, And I don't know. It's a long season. There's still plenty of football left to be played. I'm not hitting the panic button yet, but this just wasn't a great game for a number of reasons that we'll dig into. But I am just, man, that it tires me out watching that kind of stuff, you know? Oh, oh yes. I mean, the, the the worst part about that kind of game is that you find yourself wondering what on earth needs to change for things to get better. Because it's the the worst part about, to me at least, watching that kind of offense is the Bears ran the ball technically at seven point four or six point four yards per clip. Actually, it's 6.7 yards per clip. David Montgomery played like a superhero. Khalil Herbert cracked off a really long run that juiced his average. Obviously, that's not quite the story of it. The Bears had a bunch of long runs and a bunch of not-so-long runs, to say the least. But with Justin Fields clocking in at 11 passing attempts, 7 for 11, 70 yards, and 3 sacks to go with it, there's not a ton to get particularly excited about when it comes to the development of the young quarterback. And hey, you said it really well, Jacob. This doesn't mean we're out. Like, I don't want to make it sound like anybody's rushing to conclusions here. Nobody's breaking out the B-word that will not be mentioned. But this is a rough data point. I mean, obviously, us Bears fans might care more about the Bears-Packers rivalry than even the players and coaches do. But we do care. And this is a game that you just can't have. I mean, the Bears seemed intent to run the ball on any down where it was justifiable. I mean, they almost literally ran all the way down the field and on second and 20 even decided to run it. David Montgomery just had other plans. I mean, this is a strange game plan. And under the assumption that... They the Bears were doing everything they could on offense to improve their chances to win this football game. You have to wonder whether what they've been saying about Justin Fields lines up with what they actually think. Look, 
Far be it from me to question the kid. God knows he's got not much to work with when it comes to his receiver room. Certainly Cole Komet had a ball that hit him right in the chest that fell to the ground and set up another strugglesome series. We've heard that story before, but it's it's weird walking away from a game where the quarterback was asked to do so very little. Because after years of watching Nagy seemingly try to minimize Trubisky's impact on the game for the negative and criticizing Trubisky for it, it would be deeply unfair for me not to point out that it felt like Justin Fields got put into the same position, and I just struggle to see how that bodes well for the future of the franchise. But it's just one game. What do you think? Yeah, so actually, it's really good timing that you bring that up because this just popped up on my timeline from the after-game press conference. Uh, so this is from Chris Emma, who just you know popped up on my timeline from 670, the score. He said, so Justin Fields, about the, you know, just throwing 11 passes, said, quote, Luke said before the game, Luke Getze, that we were going to run it down their throats. My job is to run the play that's given to me the best that I can. So... I don't think that really offers too much of analysis outside, you know, that we can't see in the box score because, yeah, they ran the ball 27 times and Justin Fields threw 11 passes. And even when you include the three times he was sacked, that's still 14, you know? So yep. it's it's not a, not a great ratio when you look at pass to run, especially in today's modern NFL. And we can only really speculate what the reason is. But I'm just I, – I'm, I'm honestly baffled about taking such a run-heavy approach. Yes, David Montgomery had a fantastic game, and I don't want to take anything away from him. I think he was the MVP of this game for the Bears, 100%. But with that in mind, don't you want to see what you have in your quarterback? If I mean, and if you're trailing for most of that game, wouldn't you want to try and air it out a little bit? We, we just didn't see that. I mean, the worst part is, Jacob, maybe they feel like they did. Obviously, we don't, we, we can't be in the huddle, but the three sacks that Fields took were in the first half of the game. I mean, if, mem- if I'm he- remembering correctly, certainly two of them were. And it makes you wonder what was going to happen on those plays where Fields took a sack. All we get is the broadcast angle. And I've complained before. Uh, when we when we are on podcasts like this, that I would just kill for some kind of hybrid all twenty two view because when us fans are left staring at our quarterback standing behind an offensive line getting sacked and asking was anybody open like what are we really watching when it comes to a football perspective why do we have to wait until Tuesday or Monday night just to confirm whether or not our quarterback actually had options downfield or not let alone understand what the rest of the play calls are i will never understand it and it makes moments like this even worse but that said it's just a weird game to evaluate because even if that was the plan to ram it down their throats it's hard to look at any any statistic whether you go throw by throw on fields whether you go volumetric and you say you got to have more than 70 passing yards in the modern NFL yeah i don't disagree uh, so <laughs> outside of a couple things i'll get, i'll tip my hat to the bears offensive line they must have blocked like crazy because between them and the tight ends they broke loose a bunch of very very solid runs that are without a doubt positive things going into the future but I'll tell you what Jacob this is the moment okay so last week we got the everything's coming up Bears game 
right? We got the, oh, heck yeah, our rookies played well, and our coach rules, and we grinded it out, and the defense is awesome, and Luke Getzey's awesome, and Justin Fields made plays when Justin Fields needed to make plays, and this one was the one where the Bears looked like a 3-14 and team. Like, this looked like a game that was over at halftime. The Packers offense came out and or came out and slept walk until they needed to score more points and then immediately launched like a 50 some odd yard bomb to Sammy Watkins who was wide open. I mean, this this did not look like trouble for a team that was made to look like lunch meat last week by an other divisional opponent of ours. So, I I don't know. I don't know who these bears are. I think I would love to say they are who we thought they were, but this was the game for the naysayers, and last week was the game for the positive people, and next week against Houston, I don't know which team we're going to see. Yeah, truthfully, I'm really interested in seeing which Bears team shows up in Houston because hypothetically, Houston's not a great team. That should be a game that they're able to win, especially if, you know, say they play about the same level of play that they had against San Francisco. I mean, they're not going to be playing in a monsoon, but say they play around the same, I don't think Houston can consistently outplay that. I don't think they have enough talent on their roster. I think Chicago has the better roster than Houston does. And with that said, I can't go into that week and say, all right, they're definitely going to win this game. They're moving on to 2-1. and one. Let's see what the rest of the year brings. I think that it's a game they're going to have to really fight for. And sure, the Texans haven't been great, but they I don't think they've been the worst performing team in the league. Like, you know, a lot of people expected them to be the worst team in the league or bottom three at the very least. But I think they've shown some guts. And even if, you know, they're not a great NFL team, let's be honest. But... They're going to fight, and I think that the Bears are going to have to come back and fight right back. So I don't feel great about this game. I don't feel I didn't feel great about this season to begin with, I'll be honest. I saw this team as probably somewhere between five and seven wins, just realistically. I thought that any talk of a playoff run was uh, it's a delusional, I guess. I don't want to be too harsh with that, but... I that's just what I believe. That's just what I believe this whole time. And I hope I really hope I'm proven wrong. I really hope I'm proven wrong that they uh turn things around and that they truly have a breakout year. But I this is a work in progress. This isn't a year defi- like dedicated to competing right away. Just look at how much dead cap they're eating. Just look at how little they're spending on big name contracts. This is a retooling year. I don't want to say rebuilding entirely, but retooling, I think, is the big part of this year. They're not intending to be Super Bowl contenders this year. So that's just, that's just something to keep in mind uh, to not totally overreact if this team isn't great because on paper they're not. No. And I mean, proud of you for not wanting to say rebuilding. I'll say rebuilding, Jacob. I have never seen a defensive player with quite as complicated a role as Kyler Gordon has right now. And that's not even particularly an excuse for number six, as both number six and number nine showed some real issues tonight that are going to be a little more easy to explain when it comes to the, or like when the all 22 comes out, but missed tackles, poor man matchups, 
poor play in general, the rookies got victimized well more than once. But even in that, Jacob, let's take Kyler Gordon. Right now, he's playing outside corner in the base defense on, like, first downs where they think a run is coming. And then when they switch to nickel, Kendall Vildor comes on the field and he bumps inside, which is ridiculous because normally you learn one or the other. In the nickel, or, like, when you're playing in the nickel, you don't have the sideline to work with. You've got to play the position differently and understand your assignments differently than when you're on the outside. And like we saw with Gordon's beautiful pass breakup on the outside earlier in the I think it was the second quarter you can use the sideline to your advantage because you know that the receiver can't go out of bounds so watching what Gordon is going through right now I can't imagine how difficult that is and I can't I cannot willingly say that this team putting Gordon in that position is trying to compete so to speak it it looks like the Bears are trying to develop. But even so, I mean, I know that last week gave us a lot of hope because San Francisco is such a phenomenal running football team, but the Packers ran the snot out of the ball. It felt like they got fundamentally whatever they wanted to on the ground, which is, you know, never super fun. Uh, and I'm looking up the statistics on it right now. It looks like the Bears gave up. 5.3 yards per carry on the ground, 203 yards total, and a score on 38 carries. So if anybody got the ball run down their throats, it might have been Chicago. Yeah, and actually I think it's you know fitting you bring that up because uh, I was writing, I was getting a head start on my day after notes for Windy City Gridiron uh, before we hopped on this call. And I did the you know the math on the yards per carry thing. If you exclude Aaron Rodgers' five rushes that he had, which technically not all of them were rushes, you know he had however many kneels. I don't know because I turned the game off after the Justin Fields interception, but that increases to five point eight yards per carry just off of the two running backs, Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon alone. And again, like I'm gonna say this, and you know, Robert, you've said this before, but we're going to have to go back to the all 22 and see exactly what went wrong. But on first glance, the tackling was just bad, man. I think that that's something that we didn't see much of in week one, those struggles where the inability to wrap up the inability to get your weight underneath you and truly form tackle. I think that they were just all over the place and to bring up Kyler Gordon. I thought that when he was on the outside, he wasn't bad. In all honesty, I think it's when he was in the slot that he really struggled and Green Bay knew that they just took advantage of him. And sure, I think that he looked a split second too late to diagnose route concepts and he wasn't like Kyler Gordon's a good athlete. He's not a four three athlete to the point where he can make up for a, you know, a split second too late diagnosis. He's, you know, more fluid than he is fast. So the instincts have to be sharper. I, again, I don't want to hate on the guy too much because it's, he's playing a very difficult role to learn. Like you mentioned, you're playing, you're switching inside, outside, you're moving around so much and it's just his second game in the NFL, but this wasn't a good game. This was not a good game of NFL football, a good game of coverage at the cornerback position. And I I have faith in Kyler Gordon. I think that he's a good football player and that the tools are there for him to succeed going forward. So, again, 
not abandoning hope, especially for a rookie in his literally second game. But that I think that Kyler's struggles definitely played a part in just what was overall not a good game for that Bears defense. The nickel corner is absurdly hard, and it's not talked about enough. I mean, Bears fans threw Buster Screen out, and I'm not by any means about to cape for Buster Screen. But we act like somehow because outside corner gets paid as well as it does, and that Darrell Rivas pays, plays outside corner, and all the big names that you know play outside corner, that outside corner is the, one of the hardest positions on the football field. And ever since we got Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase, and at the time for the Bears it was Allen Robinson and D. Devontae Devontae Adams and others all playing out of the slot Jacob slot became the hardest position on the football field bar none offense or defense honestly there's an argument to be made that slot corners harder than quarterback in some cases especially in some offenses because you've just got to cover superstars and they can go literally anywhere I'm stunned that with Gordon having as little work as he had or as he got that he's been put in this position look far be it from me to criticize Everflus in his second game for saying oh he didn't put Kyler Gordon in position to succeed but when Aaron Rodgers goes 19 for 25 for 234 that's an average of 9.4 yards per attempt uh actually that may be yards per completion but he's got an 131 quarterback rating and most of that felt like it was fed through number six it's not awesome for your rookie and certainly it's going to be something that Kyle is going to have to just pick his head up now Jacob you know this this wasn't a football game devoid of bright spots which I'm almost surprised I'm saying but number 99 Travis Gibson had himself a day that's awfully nice to see out of a pass rusher and certainly I think the Bears offensive line brought a lot to the table that in the world of it's a development year what positives can we take from this Travis Gibson's a young, productive pass rusher lining up with uh, with Dominique Robinson. Robert Quinn looked as fast as ever. So if the Bears did want to truly mortgage the now in or for the future, Robert Quinn's helping set himself up for a deadline deal. But outside of oh, also I thought Eddie Jackson played relatively well. He was hitting and tackling as well as I've seen him just about, and was as holding the defense together as as well as he could, I guess, from the back end. I don't want to tip my cap too hard in that uh, direction for a defensive performance that was generally pretty uninspiring, but I also, now that you, now that we're talking about players that played well and played poorly, I'll ask you a hard one, Jacob. What'd you think about Roquan Smith? Oh boy, so this, this wasn't Roquan's best game, and you look at the stat sheet, you see, oh, he had, what was it, 11 tackles. You know, that's, that's a good number. That's a good number, and you know, no context added to that. It looks like he had a very good game, even better than he had in week one. But the Packers' offensive line just had their way with him. And that's never been a strength of Roquan's game in terms of shedding blocks and being that physical thumper in between the box. I mean, he's a smaller linebacker. He's a sideline-to-sideline guy. Uh, but I think the Packers did a very good job of just overwhelming him at the point of attack. And Roquan got pushed back a lot. And there were some instances where he looked maybe a little hesitant at times. And that's not necessarily the case for him usually because he's such a fast player and he's an intelligent player more often than not. 
it's just that this game, the Packers knew how to neutralize them, and they did exactly that. I don't think that that was their intention to solely neutralize Roquan Smith because you don't game plan entirely around a linebacker usually. But uh, I think that was something they had to keep in mind, that Roquan's never been great at shedding blocks when offensive linemen get to the second level. And I think we saw it. And it wasn't just that. There were a couple instances where Roquan was getting blown off the ball by running backs or tight ends. So that was just tough to watch, especially for a guy who's entering, you know, he's in a contract year. He's got this big extension or free agent signing, whatever happens uh, pending. And I don't think he did a very good job of uh, solidifying his case. I remember, you know, we talked a little bit about this last week with, you know, the 49ers, but comparing Roquan to Fred Warner, Fred Warner is miles ahead of Roquan. And I think Roquan's a very good football player, but he's not special to the point that Fred Warner is, where you can justify making him the highest paid linebacker in the league. I don't think Roquan's at that level, and I think that uh, just more games like this would is just really going to hurt his stock as a free agent going forward. Uh, there's a whole other discussion about the whole contract thing and the agent, but just for today, I don't think he had a very good outing, and that's disappointing for a guy who's supposed to be the best player on the team. Right. I agree with you. And frankly, I think that it's a continuing trend now because we saw the same with San Francisco. And as much as, again, I will point to both San Fran and Green Bay and say, wow, Jacob, these are teams steeped in the run game. If any team out there is going to understand how to run the ball on you, it's going to be San Francisco and then it's probably going to be Green Bay. So the fact that A.J. Dillon can throw a pretty nasty block, the fact that any any San Francisco tight end can just run on out and block 58 without too much trouble. Maybe they're they're just good at it, right? Uh, what Where I struggle is, okay, so I'll use an example. Uh, one of the things that made Ray Lewis so special was that not only was he pretty good in pass coverage, and only pretty good, but when he took on an offensive lineman, the offensive lineman lost many cases. Like, you want to talk about an old-school run thumper from 2005, Ray Lewis was an absolute animal against the run, and Nick Kwiatkowski kind of played a similar game, not near Ray Lewis. You get, you get the idea that he was violent at the point of attack and created problems in the running game. Uh, the thing I think Bears fans have forgotten is that Shaquille Leonard, formerly Darius Leonard, is violent in the run game. And if you put Darius Leonard up against a running back with a like a running back that's blocking with another running back behind him, Leonard will erase the block and make the play. 58, Roquan Smith, is not doing that. Roquan's getting taken out of the play by just about anybody that goes near him. And in moments where, I mean, it looks... Like the Oklahoma drill, Jacob, where it's Roquan, a blocker, and a ball carrier. And Roquan's losing these matchups a lot. And that worries me because while I get it, Roquan is a homegrown talent, picked number eight. We love Roquan. We aren't in, wow, look at our young player mode anymore. We're in, is he worth top tier money? And I don't think he was, I don't think he helped the Bears tonight. I thought he was, frankly, kind of a problem out on the football field, and that if, theoretically, you had Nick Morrow paired with a thumper at Will Linebacker that was able to make more of a difference in the running game, sure, that guy might have been targeted more often in pass coverage, but it didn't stop Roquan from giving up a third down on to, uh, I think it was Randall Cobb, who cut inside on him and got the first down anyways. So it's not, I'm not trying to sit here and say Roquan Smith sucks. 
I'm not trying to sit here and say, Rogue One doesn't fit the system, ding, 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 alarm bells, panic. But I will say, two bad games in a row is not good for a guy who's betting on himself. And it's going to put the Bears in a pretty precarious position. Because if he loses all of his value, he won't help the team now or in the future, whatever his extension ends up being. Yeah, and just in the grand scheme of things, I think that, I think you summed it up well. If you have, like, that downhill thumper who can really play in the box, who can really approach the line of scrimmage well uh, and shed those blocks, stack and shed and, you know, move guys around at the point of attack, you don't have to be, like, another edge rusher per se, but just being able to shed blocks. And that's that was Roquan's issue coming out of Georgia. That's been his issue his whole career, really. That's been the one, like, reoccurring flaw if I had to pick one because he's had a very good career if I had to pick one it's block shedding and I think that's what's preventing him from being on the same level as Fred Warner as Shaq Leonard and if you're the Bears again two games it's a small sample size but you have to consider that at some point is this guy on that same level is he worth paying to that extent because that's what he wants to be paid he wants to be paid more than those guys and that's well documented at this point. I don't think he's worth that. I've said over the course of the offseason that Roquan's a guy that, you know, he's really good. And even though line off-ball linebacker is in the most valuable position in today's NFL, he can cover very well. He's a locker room leader and he's very athletic. So you have that going for you. And he's a blue chip, maybe, maybe not top tier, but he's easily top 10 maybe top five off-ball linebacker that's a guy worth keeping around if you have to pay a little extra for him I say do it but it's not a really inspiring start to the year and I think that if he you know keeps this level of play up it's going to hurt his stock he's still going to get good money but it's really going to hurt his case to be the highest paid linebacker in the league when truth be told Warner and Leonard are just on another level entirely right I mean, I can't help but feel like the worst part about this. So let's go all the way back to 2018. What is the recipe to make Roquan Smith shine? Well, if the recipe is that you need to have two guys in Akeem Hicks and Eddie Goldman that can both eat double blocks, that's hard to find one, let alone two. If you also need really solid edge pressure and you need really good defensive backs, and then Roquan Smith will be a very good linebacker, that to me becomes hard to hand just about a blank check to considering that, uh, I mean, you could use that money to pay for most of the things I just mentioned. I mean, if the Bears could have a couple more defensive linemen that were trustworthy when it comes to two-gapping or even playing one-and-a-half gaps, I feel like their running game would have been a lot stronger against a Packers offensive line that they did not look like they were starting three brand-new interior linemen, just like the uh, 49ers were, Jacob. They, It wasn't that the Bears' offensive line was getting manhandled. I mean, take a look at what the Bears did on offense. This Green Bay running game does a lot of favors to its offensive line. The Bears got theirs on the ground the trouble was was that they they kept the bears guessing just enough in the short passing game in the play action passing game and in the running game to where it felt to me at least like when look if the bears or if the packers only had two downs to convert first downs it might have been a contest but they had three so when one play didn't quite go their way they were able to just find make up for it and there was no Better example of this. Jacob, what did you think of the Bears giving up second and 28 and that thing turning into a first down? So 
I tried, like, I didn't drink during this game, for the record. I will say that. And, you know, I can say that now because I'm, I'm of age, so anyone coming to the comments saying, oh, you look like you're 12, uh, how are you drinking? But that, uh, yeah, I'm legal, whatever. Anyway, I really wanted to after they gave up second and 28, you said it was, 28-29. Uh, it was just, I don't know, man. It was tough to watch. And I think a lot of it comes down to, yeah, the Packers receivers did a very good job of blocking on that one screen that they had. They could significantly pick up yardage on that uh, to get to that second down. And the tackling just wasn't there. I think that's a, a theme that we saw throughout the game, whether it was the, you know, the linebackers, the defensive backs for the most part, uh, the defensive line didn't do a f- consistent job of, you know, stuffing up those gaps in the run game. And that provided opportunities for AJ Dillon, Aaron Jones, two pretty strong backs, especially Dillon to get up against linebackers that they're just as big as, if not bigger than, and give them a whole head of steam to work with. I mean, that's just not going to bode well for most linebackers. Uh, so in the grand scheme of things, I mean, yeah, it's not necessarily uh, it's not necessarily surprising given where the Bears struggled that they were, you know, giving up those big of yardage. And correct me if I'm wrong, I want to say it was Kyler Gordon who gave up that first down conversion on third down. I could be totally off base on that. I think it was. Might have been. I mean, it was either him or Smith. I, I can envision an eight-yard first down, but... I mean, that's one of those where Roquan's put in a weird position because we, we talk about him like he's an utter superstar in coverage, and he's very good in coverage. But even defensive backs struggle when they're matched up one-on-one on a slot receiver, and Roquan's no exception. That's a mismatch any day of the week. So I I don't know, man. It's hard because like you're talking about, I I personally thought that the All-22 was a lot less kind to the rookies last week than the broadcast was because any Bears win means everybody rules. I've been there. It's very easy to get swept up in that. This week, a lot of the missed tackles were the same two guys. <laughs> like, it wasn't necessarily – did you see that? Am I fabricating this? Like, I don't feel like it was Nick Morrow and Angelo Blackson out there missing a ton of tackles. Justin Jones got his tackle off of a recovery – where he sprinted upfield and made the tackle nine yards downfield. It was a conspicuous pair of defensive backs that seemed to overrun players. I mean, hey, Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon, they both rule. Like, they, they will not be the first to miss tackles on those Green Bay running backs. Don't you get me wrong. But it's like, I'm not sitting here trying to sound the alarm bell. Again, this is a very developmental-oriented year. This is okay. But... Am I crazy? Who else did you see that was missing tackles? I think you summed it up pretty well. I mean, I don't think Roquan really missed a ton of tackles. Again, I'll have to go back and check, but on first glance, it didn't seem like he missed a ton of tackles as much as he didn't fill the gap super well and as much as he got dominated off the line of scrimmage. Uh, Morrow was a bit up and down. Uh, Kyler Gordon had a handful of missed tackles, I think. Uh, You know, Eddie Jackson played pretty well against the run from you know what I was able to see uh but just in general I think it's the secondary and the linebackers it's past that second level where the Packers running backs were able to get into space and to consistently be able to make plays and to be able to run over smaller defenders that's where Green Bay really shined and 
That's why I think I could really see Chicago going D-line heavy uh, in this coming offseason. I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves. It's literally week two of the 2022 season, but everyone's saying, oh, receivers, what they're going to do in round one next year. I wouldn't be shocked if they go defensive tackle, honestly, just because I think we've seen Justin Jones has shown promise I don't know if he's the Eberflus three technique that, you know, we've seen DeForest Buckner be for him. And I mean, that's such a high comparison. Buckner's a freaking stud, but I mean, is that someone that you're going to consistently rely on to play such a, you know, a critical position? He didn't have a bad game by any means. He had, you know, two tackles for a loss and, you know, I want to say it was eight tackles that he had. Like that's, you know, for a defensive tackle, that's pretty good. But I think that in terms of consistently getting in, getting into the backfield, in terms of consistently eating up gaps near the line of scrimmage, I thought it was a little hit or miss. Uh, Not to single out Jones, because again, he got a lot of tackles that's worth something. But I think that just the interior defensive line in general was just, it was just okay in my opinion, and then that provided for mistackling issues for some of their smaller defenders. I think the hardest part about talking about this interior defensive line, Jacob, is that they aren't even paid to be okay. Like, the highest paid defensive lineman on the roster is Justin Jones, who's being paid, if memory serves, an average of $6 million per year, which is next to nothing given that Akeem Hicks just got a one-year deal for $10 million over in Tampa Bay, and most people's best defensive tackle is either at least a second rounder, at least, or they're being paid somewhere in the neighborhood of 13 to $18 million because interior defensive linemen rule, they're hard to find, and they make a huge difference on football games. I mean, at this rate, Jacob, look, let's ride the swing of it, right? Let's say that the Bears, that last week they were going to be a 10-win team, now they're going to be a 5-win team again. Let's say that they finish and they're in the like top six. I mean, this screams Jalen Carter, if he's still there to me, not to get all the way into the draft. I mean, like, the, the Matt Eberflus defense in Indianapolis traded for one specific player. They traded for DeForest Buckner. They want that superhero three technique, and I don't think Justin Jones is supposed to be that i i love realistic expectations to me if we don't have realistic expectations we have no rubric and this interior defensive line to me they got like a b like this is what i anticipate if anything i thought justin jones was a lot better than i expected out of one of the primary starters on the worst running defense in football last year in los angeles so it's so weird to talk about because, it, Jacob, I mean, do you feel like any of these guys in particular are, like, underperforming to your expectations? Or is this just about your expectations? There's just no real investment there. In terms of the interior defensive line, honestly, it lines up with my expectations that I had in the preseason and that I had in the offseason. And that's that they're not investing a lot of the position. Sure, there's solid depth there, but there's not the guy there. There's not a high-end starter, if anything, I don't know if there's a guy that would consistently start on most NFL teams. I think Justin Jones would for a handful of teams, maybe Angela Blackson, but realistically, it's a lot of high-end backups, which could be worse, but I, I think this is about what I expected, and you know, sounds like it's about what you expected from what they've invested there. 
I would just love to see a Jalen Carter or a Brian Brzee at that three technique spot next year. Uh, that would just make you know my heart flutter. But uh, that's you know that's a discussion for another time and probably a couple months from now, honestly. But yeah, no, I think that it, it's about what you expect, and you don't invest a lot at a certain position. From a draft capital perspective, from a financial perspective, and it's about what you're going to get. If you get a good starter out of that group, fantastic. That's probably more than what you're expecting. So they're not setting the expectation bar super high just in terms of how much they're investing in that position. I think that's going to change going forward, but I think for this year alone, uh, that's just probably going to be the norm with a little bit of fluctuation either up or down. Right. And I mean, hey, I'll I'll just say the obvious, Jacob. It's pretty presumptuous of me to say the name Jalen Carter because after a game like tonight, look, like we said, nobody's out yet. But there is a world where what we saw tonight is the new normal, sort of, for Justin Fields. And if it is, the Bears got to figure quarterback out. God, I don't want to talk about that. But there is something that got brought up in our streams chat that I got to mention to you, Jacob, because there's a player whose name, there's a good player whose name we haven't mentioned. That's Jalen Johnson, who is one of the most under-targeted corners in the NFL right now. Kudos to him. But getting back to the negative, um, Jacob, what's going on with Darnell Mooney? How do you feel? What's happening? Oh, man, I am just heartbroken after what's going on with Darnell Mooney right now. So I tweeted this near the end of the game, but to start his first two games, he has two receptions for four yards. That's it. And today he had one catch for a loss of four, and that's it. And he was targeted once on that deep route, but the I think it was Eric Stokes who was covering him was there the entire way, and he was overthrown anyway, but still. I'm going to, again, have to go back and see with the All-22 for this game specifically to see what went wrong because it's drier conditions, so you can't use, oh, he was playing, you know, in super wet grass, so he's not going to run routes super well. I'm interested in seeing what happened because I can't definitively say, but from the looks of things, there weren't really any opportunities for Mooney, and I don't know if... He just wasn't the first read a handful of times. Again, it's 11 throws that Fields made, so it's super small sample size. But I think that for a guy who's, you know, just coming off a 1,000-yard season, the guy who's supposed to be the wide receiver one, the fact that he was completely invisible and the fact that nobody knows what happened, really, I think that's concerning in and of itself because he was a complete non-factor. It's not like they were throwing the ball to him and he couldn't make grabs. They just weren't targeting him. He just wasn't getting open. So we'll see down the stretch. I'll probably have a better answer for that within the next coming days. But, man, I just didn't like that. And I'll just touch briefly on Jalen Johnson here. I don't want to, you know, go too over time. But, like, I think that he hasn't been targeted all that much. And I think he's done a very good job in coverage from what I've been able to see. Uh, and again, that's a small sample size because he's not being targeted a lot, but I think that's in itself a good thing because sure, he doesn't have these opportunities to make the flashy plays like the picks and as many pass breakups, but he's effectively neutralizing a receiver depending on who he's going up against. And from what I saw in spurts, he did a pretty good job of that tonight. So 
we'll see. We'll see. Again, I keep saying going back to the All-22, it's tough to get super educated breakdown from just the broadcast tape. You can pick some stuff up. But I think Jalen Johnson, his play from what I've seen so far, has been encouraging. Uh, Not so much for Mooney, though, that's for sure. The number one question that I have with Johnson. So, okay, look, you know me, Jacob. You've been on enough podcasts. You've been interacting with me enough. You know that I have been one of the more vocal Eddie Jackson supporters that there is in the Bears world, especially as people started moving towards when are we going to cut Eddie? And it became a foregone conclusion before last week. Within all that, one thing that I kept coming to is if you are playing in a defensive back room where everybody knows that you can just throw at X or Y defensive back and you don't have to target the good one, you won't get targeted. And Eddie over the years hasn't gotten targeted an awful lot, but I have to keep or I have to beg the question on tonight's game in particular. If you saw what I saw, Jacob. The Packers came out with a clear game plan and they would like they were going to target six like they they knew that they could get six into the nickel that when he lined up on the nickel, they could put their their receivers in a bunch set so that they could confuse his release. And then they would just about get free yardage. I mean, I wish it wasn't so easy, but you have to wonder whether Aaron didn't target Jalen Johnson because he just didn't feel like the offense had to. I mean, eventually, I mean, the defense is defending what the offense throws at them, literally. So if the offense doesn't think they have to target 33, they won't. And it doesn't seem like the Packers needed to. It's it's a real piecemeal way to watch a football game because I come away. You mentioned Mooney. Right now, Mooney is not exactly qualifying as a weapon. Nobody on the Bears is. I did not expect myself to be looking at. I don't know if Ryan Griffin has more receiving yards than uh, than than Darnell Mooney does. I don't want to take a look at the Bears. I think he does. Well, he had 18 yards today, so by default, he already That's has. It. Yep. Mm-hmm. Echonamius St. Brown, definitely Dante Pettis, uh, and Ryan Griffin all have more yards than Darnell Mooney and Cole Komet, and it's hard for me to see that as anything other than intentional and deliberate by the defense. I mean, look, I have been awfully critical of a lot of the Bears receiving weapons, not quite as critical as our own Bill Zimmerman, but awfully critical when it comes to trying to be objective. This sucks. I'm a fan, too. Like, this is one of those that we are back Jacob, it's just dawned on me, we're back to chicken or the egg. Is it Justin Fields' fault, or is it the fact that he doesn't have any weapons? Both might be valid, and that's what really hurts here. Like, is Luke Getze brainless? Because they're they're praising him with awfully verbose language. I mean, we're hearing Darnell Mooney and the rest of the offensive players come out and say, when he's a head coach, we will all know why. And then this happens. And I just... I end up so wound up because I don't I don't really know what I'm supposed to take away from this, Jacob. The monsoon game was fun to throw out because it's like, yeah, we made the plays when we needed to. Like, sure, we had 26 yards in an offensive first half, but uh, that that's totally the rain's fault. Just wait what happens when we're on dry land. Well, we didn't do a ton better, <laughs> at least or especially after the scripted drive. And so... The, the, the good news here is that the Bears don't play the Packers every single week. The bad news is, is that the Packers may not be the best team in the division. 
I mean, the Lions look awfully feisty right now. The Vikings beat them pretty handily. The Bears are left playing the Texans, who, while they um, while they haven't won a game, uh, they I, I don't know, man. The Bears are in this weird territory right now where they proved to me with the 49ers game that they can win any game where you truly sleep on them. But I don't see anything on this Bears team that I can point to and say definitively that they won't lose to anybody on their schedule. The Falcons put up 25 points on the Rams. The Giants are undefeated, and they haven't tied. Like, the Bears right now... I don't know what's going to happen here. Do you? Because <laughs> after a 70-yard performance by the starting quarterback of the future, I got him at a loss. I I have no idea. And I think that's going to be really fun to watch these. Well, I don't know if I'd say fun as much as I'd say interesting. Because these next coming weeks, we're going to see, all right, Fields really didn't get to throw the ball a whole lot. Is this going to be a re- reoccurring theme this year? Is that just the offense? Is that the mindset that the Bears have with Justin Fields at quarterback, with these weapons, whatever? But I I can't definitively say what the Bears are at this point. I, I feel pretty confident saying they're not Super Bowl contenders. I, I don't think that's a hot take by any means. I don't know if this is a middle-of-the-road team that just had a bad game. I don't know if this is a bottom three team. I just don't know yet. So time will tell. Again, it's a young quarterback. It's an entirely new offense. It's a first-time head coach, new everything, complete turnover from last year. So there are going to be some growing pains, especially for a roster that's this young. But I I don't know. I truthfully don't know. I wish I could say more at this point, but I, I guess we're just going to have to wait and see. I think that's the mode that I'm in right now with the Bears is wait and see because I can't really put together anything definitive from a long-term perspective based off of what we've seen so far. It's really our only option. I mean, the most positive thing that we can say is something my dad always used to say to me all the time. He'd say, Robert, you're never as good nor as bad as your last game. And coming off the 49ers game, the Bears probably aren't that good every single week. Coming off this Packers game, we certainly hope that they aren't that bad. I mean, there is a world in which Fields is perfectly fine and the Bears offense is just trying to shield him from developing bad habits behind a pocket that's going to collapse because the receivers can't get open. I don't know, maybe. Feels kind of galaxy brain. But there's, like, I could see a human being attempting to do that as misguided as it may or may not be i don't i don't know complicated time to be a bears fan because i don't know about you jacob you probably grew up in the same bears era i did where i spent four years saying four straight years saying oh okay i know i said this last year but this year jay cutler has no excuses and if he doesn't produce this year then i'm out on him and then by the end of the year there i was making more excuses because oh well okay i i know i said that but come on i didn't expect alshon jeffrey to end up with a hamstring issue and matt forte didn't play like half the games he was like half our whole offense last year and roberto garza was hurt come on man what do we do and it's like i know it's the packers game this one gets us emotional taking a beating in lambo god near every year is a, is brutal and it'll warp the mind of any Bears fan and send us all into a frenzy. But this was a rough one. 
this was a rough one psychologically. It was a rough one on the football field. And it feels like the only reason it was close was because of one lucky fumble and one not so lucky fumble. So we'll have to see. I mean, maybe it'll be a telling game, ironically, against Lovey Smith. <laughs> so I guess Lovey will give us answers one way or another. But Jacob, what are your final thoughts on the game? My final thoughts are that I am out of thoughts. I am tired of losing to the Packers every single year. I am tired of getting annihilated in prime time. And I, I just wanted, like, I wasn't coming into this game expecting the Bears to win. From a fandom perspective, I wasn't expecting that. I was just like, okay, if the Bears can show some promises, if Fields can have a good game and say they lose by, like, one possession or something like that, then I'd be okay with that. I'd honestly be happy with that in the grand scheme of things. But I'm not there. I'm not there because we saw so little from Justin Fields. We saw so little from, you know, on both sides of the ball. There are honestly more questions than answers at this point. And I don't like that because I'm a big fan of, like, having that certainty, having that stability and I'm an impatient person. I don't like waiting very long. Unfortunately for me, I'm a Bears fan, so it's kind of a double-edged sword there where I kind of did this to myself, and I have my family to blame for inheriting this Bears fandom onto me, but I don't know, man. It's just I can't put together too many long-term conclusions. I'm not going to say Justin Fields isn't the guy. I'm not going to say Luke Getzey's not a good play caller right away the early signs not great there are flashes but they're not great i'm willing to be patient with fields especially because i still think that he can be a star in this league will he be i don't know i think he certainly can be though so time will tell i'm just looking forward to these next couple weeks because again like you said you're not as good or bad as your last game I'm hoping that the Bears aren't as bad as they were in this game. Eventually, I want to see that ultra-star performance from Fields. Like, it, he's a second-year quarterback. We don't need to act like he's a rookie. But also, it's not as if he's got Jamar Chase running around out there. He doesn't even have Allen Robinson. I mean, it's it's a bizarre time to be a fan because simultaneously, we have to be realistic about what we would expect from Fields while watching him behind i don't know it's hard to tell i mean truly it's hard to tell it's especially hard to tell off the broadcast tape we just don't know anything especially every single time fields takes a sack the forward pass three yards across the sticks not awesome uh can't really do that but whatever it happens uh we'll see what happens like this is going to be an interesting uh an interesting team to follow nevertheless I think the officiating was awfully weird in this game. I did think that the touchdown ended up getting scored. I just don't think it matters, right? Because the Packers offense came out and diced up the Bears defense badly enough that I don't actually think that the game was as close as it might have appeared. Uh, again, I'll tip my hat to David Montgomery, who I thought played like a star. I mean, if the Bears end up extending him, especially if they extend him for something relatively, I don't want to say meager, but very let's say amenable, like a six to $8 million year deal uh, across three years. So like a 18 to 24, like deal average. You know what? I see it. Like 
Last week, he really struggled. This week, he looked like a beast. I mean, he was making guys miss at the second level like they weren't even there. And that's the kind of thing that you want out of your franchise running back, so to speak, if, if they exist anymore. But it'll be it'll be an interesting season to follow. Thanks so much for joining me. Jacob, what else do you have going on in the pipeline for this next week? So this next week, uh, honestly, just more of the same for me. I've been doing, along with uh, Windy City Gridiron's Peter Borkowski, uh, he and I have been doing college football weekly previews. Uh, I think that's been, you know, a fun little thing, at least for me, filling like a little bit of that draft bite or whatever, that draft craving that I have in the back of my head at like all times, regardless of how my team's doing. So yeah, we're going to have that coming out this week. Uh, I don't know exactly what else. I mean, I'm sure over the course of the week on my Twitter, I'm going to have breakdowns from you know, a data perspective from a film perspective, I'm just going to try and see, I'm going to put myself through the torture of watching this game over again. And Robert, I know you're going to have to watch this game over again too. So at least, you know, misery's company. So that's, that's all I can say right now. We'll see the type of stuff that I decide to dig into. I don't really have a plan yet, but it's, I'm interested in seeing what takeaways I come out with from this week. Better things come in the future. I mean, if the Bears get styled on by Houston, that sends a message. They probably won't, though. I don't want to. I don't want to make it sound like that's what I think is going to happen. I mean, the Bears have some games uh, against what is it? The next up on the rest of their schedule, they've got Houston, which should be tight if nothing else. They they've got New York, which should be another tight one. Feels like for everything that New York is doing well right now, between Saquon and the ever random Daniel Jones they shoot themselves in the foot at least once in the same drive they've got the Packer or they've got the Patriots coming up on their schedule and they're hard to get a read on they've got Dallas who's going to be starting Cooper Rush or Dak Prescott hard to tell uh at this stage the Bears have some games that will easily be described as winnable they are losable too and so Matt Eberflus will get and Justin Fields will get to control his own destiny and that's all we can ask for until then Thanks so much for bearing down. I'll see all of you guys on Tuesday as we go to break through or break down this tape. We'll be debuting an ever so slightly new format there that I hope is uh, a nice compromise for everybody so that it's, you know, long for the people that want it to be long, short for the people that don't. But until then, bear down and thanks so much for bearing with me.